I think I figured it out! Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Joining us on the program tonight, Damien, a grinder and partner with DangerousThings.com, Cooper, a sysadmin who lives open source solutions, and Cursor, a software dev with a master specializing in RF technology. Up first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. If you or your organization is interested in the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at DangerousMinds.io and email us at info at DangerousMinds.io, and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. This week on Dangerous Minds podcast, we have Josiah Zayna of The Odin. Thanks for joining us today. Could you start by introducing yourself and telling us what biohacking, grinding, and transhumanism means to you and your own grind, as it were? So for me, I, I generally call myself a biohacker. I have a PhD in biochemistry and biophysics and am a former NASA scientist. I run the Odin, which is a genetic engineering company, but I, I do consider myself mainly a biohacker. Um, and by that, I, I mean modifying my body either genetically or through different medical techniques and things of that nature. I don't know if I've done much grinding, but I do have a, a fuck ton of earrings, so I don't know if that counts. Um, you know, got metal objects implanted in me. In terms of transhumanism, I really don't want to live forever, so I hate to shit on everybody else's parade, and I hope I don't, but, uh, you know, maybe this technology can eventually be used to help people live longer and maybe forever, but... I think uh, I'm more concerned with what's going on right now than, you know, my life in 10, 20, 50, 100 years. So are you saying that your your goal is to prolong your life as opposed to, to stay immortal forever? Ah, fuck no. I mean, I don't want to prolong my life. I just, I don't mind living a normal, a normal length of life. Um, I think my goal is mainly to help prolong other people's lives or just make other people's lives more... I guess fulfilling. Can you tell us how you got started in your biohacking? And well, you said there's not much grinding. <laughs> so, like, what what level does it have to be for it to be grinding? Like, how long does the implant have to be in you, and what does its purpose have to be? I don't think there's actually a time limit on it. It could be in in your hand for like all of half a second if you want. Um, I think it's more combining the human body with technology. So. The definition sort of some people also include things like pacemakers to to the grinding scene. I think I'll um, challenge you there by saying what technology does a magnet have? Ooh. That is that that is uh <laughs> well played. <laughs> <laughs> but what what would you consider consider um being a grinder is if 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 you like to yourself, what what would you consider? I don't know. To me, grinding is kind of like, uh, I, here's the thing about biohacking. So biohacking has traditionally been separated into about three different subcultures. The first one is grinders, which 
tend to do a lot of like surgeries, implants, things like that. Um, the second group is the people who focus more on drugs. Maybe some of them are you know, snake oil salesmen, maybe not. Uh, but people who focus on like nootropics and things like that. And the third group of biohackers is the genetic engineers who try to engineer organisms or human beings. What's happening is it seems like all these three different groups are starting to merge over time, right? Because like tech, genetic engineering is a technology that people are starting to use, which you can use kind of like chemically to modify metabolisms and other systems. But usually it has to be applied through like, you know, injections or other surgery type procedures, which make it more than just your average genetic engineering experiment. Um, so I kind of see the three groups of biohackers as one, um, though they're all kind of in their separate little subcultures. Would you then just not consider your gut hack being a grind, as it were? In a way, you're using technology to adjust your body to improve your own quality of life. Oh, totally. No, right? I totally see something like that as, as a grind because it's more than just, uh, it's something that I think actually affects, like grinders seem to do things that, number one, usually have some risk, right? There's some risks that are health, either through surgery or through infection or something like that. Um, so the gut hack I did where I tried to transplant or change the bacteria on my body and in my gut required me first to like wipe out a lot of the bacteria on myself. So heavy rounds of antibiotics and then transplant somebody else's bacteria. Um, it, it, to myself and to other people that's, you know, be considered a, a, a pretty serious medical procedure. Um, you know, I did it in, in I, I rented a hotel room and I sterilized the whole place. Um, if you watch the video Gut Hack, you can see me like in a hospital gown, like cleaning the whole place, making sure it's sterile so that the transplant like takes and like protecting myself and protecting my body. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty serious medical procedure, I think. So for those, those people that um, are just sort of finding out about this now, you, you mentioned there's a video there. Uh, can you sort of talk a bit more about that, that video in general, maybe the filming of it um, and, and sort of where it's available to see? I did a, an experiment where I transplanted somebody's healthy bacteria onto my body because I suffered from gastrointestinal problems. And I also just wanted to see like how possible it was to change the bacteria that's living in you and on you because you're covered in bacteria. Initially, I kind of planned to do this, I don't want to say for fun, but as just something I wanted to explore. And I was talking with friends and other people about it and people were like, oh my gosh, this would be fucking great to film. And I was like, this is before like anybody had really ever filmed me before. So I was just like, oh sure, let's, you know, let's do this. And uh, a friend of mine who's also a journalist who wrote an article about it in The Verge, she was like, oh yeah, I really want to come and document this also. I was like, all right, no big deal. So we ended up 
you know, starting this experiment, which was pretty heavy, you know, I had to take all these antibiotics, which kind of destroyed my system, wiping out all the bacteria. And then I, the whole time I have like a camera crew following me around and I have this like journalist asking me questions and I'm like, oh, this is so fucked up. This is like this surreal fucked up world I'm living in right now, stuck in a hotel room (laughs) that's sterilized. People who can't touch me are wearing like gloves and booties and oh my gosh, it was pretty hard. You know, if I had to do it all over again, I, I don't know if I'd do it but they made a beautiful film it's called gut hack and you can find it on the new york times op docs uh, new york times website so uh check that out and i mean eventually i was successful so i successfully transplanted the bacteria i tested it using dna sequencing um to see if the bacteria from the person actually took hold in my body and it did so uh it was a pretty successful you know hack grind whatever you want to call it I, I try to stay away from terminology and definitions because it's just like what the fuck i mean basically what we're all trying to do is progress society progress technology like do we really need to argue over whether i'm a biohacker and or that person's a biohacker like i think in general people know who biohackers are and who the biohackers aren't so you said you tested the bacteria before you um, kind of, should we say, applied it, or I don't know what term you want to use for that, uh, before you changed the bacteria in yourself to the, other, to the one belonging to the other person. Um, how did you test it? And also, were there any repercussions, good or bad, from doing the procedure? I mean, leave a little bit for people to go and watch the video. And... Yeah, so what I did was I did this, I actually paid like, Five thousand. It's funny because I kind of contracted a national lab, so Argonne National Lab in Illinois. I contracted them to do DNA sequencing on the bacteria. Basically, what you do is you give them a sample. It could be any sample. In in these cases, it was samples of like you know, skin swabs, mouth swabs, swabs of my feces, and they extract the DNA from all the bacteria, and then they sequence the DNA small small regions of dna and then they're able to identify the different species of bacteria well not usually species but we'll just use that as a placeholder then these bacteria what you can do is you can compare like how the community of bacteria has changed right um it in normal people it's usually pretty stable but it does go through fluxes depending on what you eat and what you experience antibiotics would definitely change it a lot so my i I suffered from a lot of gut issues um like uh, blood in my stool and you know diarrhea and going to the bathroom multiple times three four five times a day sometimes so what i was trying to do or what i was hoping was that some of those issues stemmed from the bacteria that living in my body. There have been a lot of scientific research studies that have shown that like these fecal transplants can help in certain cases of like miscolonization in the gut of, you know, hazardous bacteria. I did this kind of as an exploratory thing to see like, number one, what would happen if you tried to wipe all the bacteria off your body? Um, A lot of people said I would die. (laughs) <laughs> I, I thought it was a little less 
the results would be a little less drastic than they were. I'm still alive, so you all know I haven't died. Um, but I think it was an interesting way to kind of uh, push the boundaries on this thing because like feces is, is scheduled. It's a scheduled drug in the U.S., which means that doctors can't prescribe it for, for things. So you can't go to a doctor and get like a feces prescription, um, which means that you, you really can't do this with a medical professional. They won't help you do it, uh, which is terrible. Um, a lot of studies have come, come out more recently that are showing that these fecal transplants actually help people with irritable bowel diseases and uh, you know gut problems. So hopefully the system catches up in the US. I think in the UK and other places, they do allow these fecal transplants to take place, but uh, you know, fuck the system, right? I think the, so the article you mentioned um, in The Verge, I think you're, believing, you're, you're referring to the one titled The Bitter Pill. Um, yeah. it's, it's, quite, it's quite a graphic, graphic, graphic um, description of, of what you went through uh, without getting into it too much. It talks about things like you swallowing poop pills, for example. Um, do you think the reporting this way so has a negative impact on how the outside world views biohacking in general? No, I mean, here's the thing is like, well, number one, I, I usually don't read all the articles about me because it's easy to get caught up in what you imagine people think or feel. I think for biohacking, or like movements or technology, there really is no bad press necessarily. I mean, obviously there is, right? Obviously if somebody does something that ends up killing 100,000 people, like it's gonna be bad. But I think that in order to push things forward, there's going to be people on both sides no matter what happens. And press is going to never write something that's in completely support of this technology because you know any writer worth their salt is going to try to present an unbiased point of view so having people who are both for and against uh, creates discourse it creates discussion it creates people interested in it right and i think in my personal opinion that can only be positive you know some people might disagree some people might think that like oh everything everybody should do should be safe and well documented and you know, really intelligent, but it's never going to happen. Instead, let's just try to make this as open and accessible as possible. And uh, I think that that'll take care of everything else. So other than like the fecal implant that you, or transplant that you performed during your gut hat, have you ever had any other type of implants or other procedures that uh, you've experimented on yourself with in the past or planning yeah. on in the future? <laughs> I don't have any implants to my knowledge, but uh, you know, the federal government might have put some tracking devices in me, so I can't say for sure. <laughs> That's uh, fueling a fire right there. Is <laughs> that <laughs> uh, your trump card? They're listening to us right now um, through my implant. So sorry, guys. <laughs> no, so the experiments that I'm really pushing for lately have been around. <laughs> human genetic modification. You know, like I said, I have a PhD in biochemistry and biophysics. I, my research before I left uh, the academic government world focused a lot on genetic 
engineering, genetic modification, um, protein engineering, things like that. And I really want to bring that to human beings in an accessible, easy to understand, useful manner. Because gene therapy technology has been around since the 90s, right? And there's been many successful cases of it. At, at this time, you know, almost 30 years later, like we really understand it and we really understand it to a level that makes it safe. So how do we take the safe technology, make it accessible, make it accessible and make it usable for people? So the first experiment I did on myself after gut hack was I tried to genetically modify my skin to see if I could put in just a gene, any gene. The gene I chose was this gene from jellyfish. Uh, it's called the green fluorescent protein or GFP. I thought maybe if I could get enough of it into my skin, I would be able to see it fluoresce, which would be kind of cool. I was successful in the genetic engineering. I couldn't actually see it. I don't think enough of the cells were engineered. So the way I was able to tell it was successful was I took a skin biopsy and had the DNA, like they ran an experiment to detect if this jellyfish DNA was inside my cells and they were able to detect it. Um, so I think I became the first human animal hybrid maybe. You mentioned that that it's kind of it's it's safe in a way. Um, there there was an article I found when I was doing sort of like a the research for this podcast, um, and it's from a doctor who uh, develops gene therapies for aging. It's a Dr. Brian Hanley, and he wrote in an article um, I think re regarding maybe something you'd written in a BuzzFeed article or a BuzzFeed article that'd been done about you um, for the Institute of Ethics and Emerging Technologies, where he said, and I quote. I made it crystal clear. I thought biohacking humans could be quite dangerous. I told them I stopped communicating technical in information to unqualified people several years ago because I realized it encouraged people to do things they weren't qualified to be involved in. He also goes on to say, and I, I don't mean to start a personal war here, but either Josiah Zayner is ignorant or he's deliberately misleading people. What he suggests cannot work as advertised. How would you respond to his comments? I don't really like to respond to people because it's like here's the thing right I get you know Brian Hanley and I have no idea what Brian Hanley what his knowledge is on this stuff what his qualifications are in this stuff or, or anything like that and I don't want to argue this stuff I document everything I do with video I write extensive blog posts on everything I do include like details about the DNA that I use and everything like that, the techniques I use. So number one, the experiment I did worked, right? I sent it off to a third party. They detected the DNA and the genetic engineering I did on myself, that first experiment. And uh, right, I did, I did that first experiment. Well, there was a lot of research and development that, that led up to it, but like in the end, anybody else can do it for $500 or less right now whether he thinks i'm crazy or i don't understand what's going on i don't know but like the information's out there here's the thing is is i get a lot of this i get a lot of people telling me that i'm gonna hurt myself that i'm crazy i'm stupid i don't know what i'm talking about but nobody ever comes like at it with like any scientific criticisms or 
scientific evidence or criticisms. I, you know, read my blog, josiahzaner.com. I cite tons of articles. I base all the things I do on research, right? I try to do it as scientific as possible so that it's not like, ooh, did it work? Well, I feel better or I feel like it worked. No, right? I make sure that it, it can be unequivocally changed and detected. Now, the argument that should this be in the hands of people, it's like, who the fuck is qualified, right? How are you going to qualify somebody whether they can use this technology? Basically, what he's saying is that there should be social stratifications for this technology. And I think that's like the most fucked up thing ever. There shouldn't be social stratifications. Anybody should have access to this technology, right? You know what? It's so hard to hurt yourself with genetic engineering and gene therapy. The DNA in general is uh, not really immunogenic. So if you inject yourself with DNA, it's not really gonna hurt yourself. Now, the way you prepare the DNA, sometimes there's leftover bacterial things because usually you replicate the DNA in bacteria. Yeah. That is immunogenic, this bacteria lipopolysaccharide. But let me tell you, I've injected myself with some shitty DNA preps, pretty shitty, and I got a little swelling. And that's it. And people have done tests and literature on this stuff. And it's not going to kill anybody, right? All this stuff has been tested hundreds, thousands of times. And people haven't died. If you're trying to insert something into your genome, it starts to get a little hairier, scarier. But like, in general, if I'm just trying to put some DNA inside one of my cells, it is so hard to kill yourself unless you're doing something crazy like I'm going to see if my cells can make a ton of insulin or something like that. Like, eh, it starts to get a little scary because you can go into like diabetic shock coma or something like that. But like, you know, I think Brian in his attempt to genetically modify himself, which, you know, never shown to actually work. He put HGH, like you're not going to kill yourself with HGH. It's like impossible. That's my big question that I've been trying to figure out. What are people so afraid of? Like, I've studied this shit. I have a PhD from University of Chicago, which is one of the top 10 universities in the world, right? I worked at NASA. I, I may be a little crazy, but I'm not stupid. So, like, if I think it's relatively safe, like, am I just really ignorant? Or are, are other people just don't understand what's actually going on? I don't know. Ask Brian what his reasons are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, obviously this is this is uh, unverified, but I think it's in response to an article written about you, where they called him for sort of like um, advice on you know things like this. And from from what you've just said, without talking about Brian specifically, do you think people are saying things like what Brian has said to avoid the trouble of you know sort of liability? So it's an easy way out for people like. Brian to be able to go and say, you know, uh, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this, I wouldn't say this, because it's easier than than actually coming out and saying what you've just come out and said and said, you know, why don't you go and try it? Why don't you grab something that you can modify your own DNA with? Yeah, no, I think, I think the thing is, is that with a lot of new technologies, people are afraid, and uh, people are scared. People don't know what to do. People think everybody's going to hurt themselves. You know, here's the thing. When any new tech, you know, when the printing press first came out, 
people are like, oh, what the fuck? Why do people need to read? They're probably just going to start riots and shit when, when they learn that, like, all the stuff we're writing down, right? Dangerous technology. Oh, when people's electricity started, people were like, oh, don't use fucking electricity. Like, it's just going to kill people. People don't need electricity. What are they going to use it for? We already have candles that are really good. We don't need, you know, electricity to light our homes. And when cars were invented, people were like, oh, automobiles, that's just going to kill everybody. And they do kill people, <laughs> right? But it, it, you see this pattern just throughout history of people who just reject technologies based just on this, like, feeling instead of on any sort of evidence or even weighing the possible benefits of the technology, right? It's like people are so afraid of these technologies hurting people but they're not afraid of all the people who are dying and suffering because these technologies aren't widespread, right? Like how many people could use genetic modification and engineering? I talk to people every day. I get emails from people every day who have medical issues, who want help with this technology. And uh, I, I generally don't give medical advice because I think that's fucking stupid as shit. Anybody out there, any biohacker who's trying to give people medical advice, stay fucking far away from them. Um, but like this technology could potentially help a lot of people. And we're afraid that like somebody stupid is just gonna inject themselves with it. Like people inject themselves with fucking, you know, car engine coolant. Yeah, I've seen um, some stories on some pretty weird stuff being implanted, injected, all sorts of stuff. Just to go back to your question on, not your question, more your statement about people generally denying technology through history just from my experience and the experience that others have spoken to me about it seems to me that most people tend to reject new things from fear of the unknown whereas someone say one of us four will be really curious in what can we do with it what benefits can we can we give ourselves people that don't know aren't going to go and read up and then go oh, okay this will give us this benefit they're thinking the world is okay right now we're all surviving oh look there's there's a new thing it's going to come in and kill us like sort of like a bear coming to your house is the way people have said it to me before but yeah i would agree it does need no to i mean i think that is stuff. it right uh, there was a recent survey out and i think uh it, it was published in you know nature or science or one of those fancy paywall places that you can you know pirate through sci-hub but they did a survey on how people feel about genetic modification and when they asked people you know what do you think about adult human enhancement so like using genetic engineering not for non-medical reasons in adult humans something like 50 to 60 percent were against it and they asked them why, like, why are you against this? And a lot of people said the exact same thing that you said. They said, you know, what's wrong with the way people are right now? And that's what people, it's not about what's wrong or what's not wrong. That's not it at all, right? It's not about, ooh, we need to fix stuff that's going on. That's, that's not it at all. What it is about is it's about, like, what benefit is this technology going to bring and what benefit can it bring? When, when co computers first came out, it was just already like, what can I do with this computer? Oh, you can play fucking solitaire. 
That's it. I remember my friend had a computer and it was old shitty. It was before the IBM clones. And all you could really do is word processing and print banners. So we'd like spend all day like making stupid banners on council using ASCII and printing them off on, you know, dot matrix. <laughs> that's the only thing the computer could basically do. Like that's it as the original computer. And imagine if people just never developed that technology because they thought, Oh, like the world's fine. We don't need better word processing. And I think that's the same way. It's, it has nothing to do with the world being fine or not fine or okay or not. Okay. You don't have to do it. You don't have to use it. That's fine. It's totally great. Great. But there's so many people that could possibly benefit and so many people who just want to explore what it means to be human or what it means to be themselves. No, I completely agree with that. Right. We've got intelligence. Some people want to use those. Some people just want to sit stationary. It's a shame, really, because we could progress something to something even more amazing than we're at now if everyone or the majority of people were open-minded instead of just believing what they hear. But I'm going to go on to my next question. So the Gut Hackers a project, is it something that you would recommend to people in a similar digestive situation to what you were in? Um, after after doing that, <laughs> what, what, uh, what do you say if someone's in the same situation? I, you know what? I don't try to recommend any sort of medical treatment to people. And I think, again, that biohackers who do, you'd be very suspect of them people who recommend you a medical treatment be suspect because usually they're not medical professionals. Um, usually they haven't weighed all the possible things. I think that if you're thinking about doing some medical treatment on yourself, you should definitely consult with medical professionals. Even if they don't agree with you, you should consult because there might be something that you are missing or you, you don't understand. So don't just do things randomly. I think a lot of people see the stuff I do and think that I just like do it on a whim, but I really don't. So what I usually say to people is who have medical issues or things like that. I say, look, knowledge is your power, right? There's a ton, a ton of scientific research out there. What you can do is you can go through that research and try to find uh, some paper or publication in which people have tried to treat your disease or your illness. And maybe it's not in humans, maybe it's on an animal, but maybe you can learn from that. Maybe you can discuss that. Maybe you can figure out a way to help treat yourself. But I, I generally stay away from specifically recommending any sort of treatment because I don't know exactly what's going on in this person's life i don't have their medical records i don't you know i don't know what they've tried before what they haven't tried so it's yeah it's something i try to stay away from i should have worded that a bit better with what you said before um with not accepting medical advice from a biohacker especially if they're not actually qualified in the area but let's say uh, the person had gone to see a doctor and the doctor had recommended it but they valued your opinion after reading your work and you experiencing it yourself. Maybe they wanted to ask someone that had had the procedure and the doctor said it would be good for them. Just out of curiosity, what would you say then? Because it has been recommended by a professional. I think a lot of these things, a lot of the things I do is not just because I'm trying to push the boundaries of what's possible and explore new things that people can do, but 
it's also to encourage other people to do the same. So, you know, without giving medical advice, and I never want to give medical advice, I would say, hey, if this thing, if you think it's possible that it can help you, and uh, you've consulted with somebody and willing to take the risks, like, go for it. Would you tell us about the biohacking community in Northern California, where you're located, and if there are any noticeable changes since uh, our own transitions within the government that have made it possibly more difficult to operate uh, the Odin for you or what have you? Generally, like genetic engineering type biohacking is still pretty, it's, it's gray area, kind of like the grinding and uh, also the stuff. Like I think all biohacking is generally gray area and that's what makes it biohacking, right? Is that everybody's trying to push boundaries of what's reasonable, what's legal, what's possible. And uh, I think that's what makes it so powerful. In California, Northern California up here, there's a heavy focus on the genetic engineering type of biohacking and also the more like supplement fasting, like body metabolism modification, as opposed to the implant type grinders. I, I think, yeah, it's for some reason, the whole implant thing hasn't really caught on too much that I know of, but, you know, who knows in, in the future. Uh, there's a couple biohacker spaces up here in the Bay Area, um, one in Oakland and one in Sunnyvale down by San Jose. So uh, it, there's, there's a lot of people. I mean, it's definitely a booming area for biohackers and my company, the Odin, we sell, I think, you know, at least 50% of our kits and supplies to people in California. So you're obviously a very smart man. You run a successful business and um, also had a, a, a massively good campaign, which was to provide genetic engineering CRISPR kits to the general public. Um, I was wondering if you can talk to me about that campaign a little bit and um, also, if you can describe the legal trouble you have with reselling CRISPR in the past and if it's affected the Odin. Yeah, um, I appreciate the compliment, but generally I don't consider myself any smarter than anybody else. Uh, that's, that's the cool thing about biohacking, right? Is I think it kind of levels the playing field. It's the only thing keeping somebody else from having more knowledge or understanding more than me is just fucking reading that shit and trying it out like that's the cool thing as opposed to like academic science or um, medicine where it's it's based solely on like very shitty metrics like where you publish and how much you publish and what grants you get but originally i started the odin in 2013 as a way to supply people who are doing science outside traditional environments with supplies. Uh, this was just like normal basic chemicals to run experiments in molecular biology and genetic engineering. I, I basically shipped the stuff on nights and weekends while I was still working at NASA. And, you know, NASA wasn't really a place that I guess I'd say fit in well. It's very bureaucratic, right? And like, fuck, man, if, if there's some system that wants me to do something, I'm not going to do it. So 
it was a bit, a bit of a culture clash between me and, and NASA. And I thought, well, shit, I think I'm going to try to do this Odin thing full time, but I need an idea, something to you know, help spur the sales. And uh, I went to school with this guy, Luciano Marfini, who was one of the discoverers of this CRISPR technology. Now, CRISPR is a genome editing technology that simplifies the process. At the time when he originally started working on it, you know, nobody really thought it was much. This is in like 2011, 12. But then like over time, it, people started to see how powerful it was. And in, in 2015, 2016, I started exploring the technology at NASA and on my own. And I, 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 I thought, wow, like this technology could be usable by people. Somebody just needs to write up the protocol and how people can use it. So I set about doing that, did a crowdfunding campaign to sell kits that allow people to engineer different organisms. And uh, it kind of blew up and gave me some funding for the Odin. And we've been running with it ever since, designing different kits, designing different things that people can do with genetic engineering. So yeah, it's been uh, pretty crazy exciting. I wouldn't recommend running a startup, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a good time. So what kind of things can we do with the kits that, that you sell? And how easy is it to, to, to start getting into that? <laughs> so some of the kits we sell don't require any experience at all so easy or not easy i don't think really relates obviously right i think about these things kind of like playing a guitar or something like that you're not going to learn to play a guitar in one day or five days or ten days it takes practice and learning and experience and things like that um the same thing is true for, I think, any sort of technology, whether it be implants and grinding or genetic engineering. It's going to take time for you to learn how to use all the stuff that's available to you, how to basically program DNA. Our kits usually come with example experiments, so it kind of takes the pressure off. Um, but we currently, on our website, have technology that allows people to engineer bacteria, yeast, and even humans. You mentioned uh, a minute ago about how biohacking is a level playing field and it's about how much you read and how much you get involved. Um, I would say the same sort of applies to programming. And it sort of made me think that maybe the whole sphere of biohacking, which you mentioned earlier, being all those different groups, sort of appeals to a certain type of person. Um, would you say that is responsible for the sort of the closeness of the community? And if so, how can we sort of break into the mainstream? I think that breaking into the mainstream is, is a tough one. Um, I think what it basically is going to take is just a lot more development of the technology, a lot more development of the communities and getting just, people to support it. Uh, I think that's a really big one. So having like uh, people who are interested in genetic engineering professors or medical doctors kind of support the technology and the explorations of people. 
whether that'll ever happen, I don't know. I guess I'm not so concerned about it being mainstream or not mainstream. I think technology kind of takes on its own pro progression path and uh, we kind of are just all passengers as it goes along. So whether this technology ends up going mainstream, I don't know if we can say that uh, I had anything to do with it necessarily. As the owner and operator of the Odin, how do you consider uh, the risks that your customers may face when purchasing the products? So they're making their own things, they're doing their own grinding experiments. Generally, we don't sell anything that's directly usable right now. So none of the items we sell are directly usable for like human use. It, all the other stuff we sell is perfectly safe. It would be virtually impossible to hurt or kill yourself with it. Um, you'd have to do something really stupid on purpose. But the other stuff, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's this weird gray area that I haven't figured out how to explore yet. The idea of selling stuff directly for people to experiment on themselves, because I think that's where a lot of liability starts to, to get involved. Um, and I don't know if I'm willing to take that risk yet, if I want to be responsible for other people's health and lives. Ah, yeah. But in general, I think that as much as I am morally kind of responsible for what people do with this stuff, I think that also people have the ability to make decisions on their own. It's, it's part of what makes us human. It's part of what makes us able to live in the world. It's like one of the basic human rights that like you should be able to do whatever you want with your body. You know, people are going to hurt themselves. People hurt themselves though with forks and spoons and like, walking down the street it's less like are people going to hurt themselves and it's more like can we really actually stop people from hurting themselves and i don't think the answer is yes like but it's like i don't think the technology is inherently dangerous right i don't think like as much as somebody can hurt themselves with a, a computer or something like that the technology isn't meant hurt people like it can't hurt people without somebody actually trying the same thing i think is true for a lot of this grinding and uh you know genetic engineering technology you'd have to go out of your way really to hurt yourself like seriously as opposed to like just using it for its you know normal everyday purpose that people would use it for just before i start my actual question here i wanted to say you, you were listing some things that people hurt themselves on, and I think we missed the most dangerous day-to-day -day item, and that is stubbing your toe on the stairs. That is a killer. <laughs> <laughs> and seriously, though, like, how many people have died, like, falling down the stairs on accident, right? I know. Uh, I agree. And, and you did... Sorry, go on. And it's like, how many people have died from grinding, or, like, things like that? Like, zero, to my knowledge zero people have you know who is it that did a talk this year at defcon um biohackers die i think i'm meow meow uh no no jeffrey tibbets did he? <laughs> Jeff, he jeffrey tibbets. Die. Uh, another guy did a talk about the doctors maybe trying to kill you 
There you go. You cannot escape it either way. Well, back to uh, what my question was going to be. You said that there's a lot of liability in selling something that someone could modify themselves with. Now, going to use a, a little plug here for DangerousThings.com. They obviously they sell items that you can probably seriously harm yourself with if you don't have the know-how or if you do something stupid with it. Say, try and implant one of the flexibles by yourself because that takes a lot of skill and knowing the well, kind of the workings of the human body, where you're going to put it, what you need to avoid. But they say by buying the product, you accept any and all responsibility. Um, but you're more than welcome to ask questions, um, have proof that it's sterilized and what have you before you put it in your body. So maybe that's something you could do. You could say, right, here's the technology. I'm going to give you the tools. What you do with it, if you do something extremely stupid, that's on your head. But if you're using yeah. it to just learn, that's I think awesome. The one problem with this technology is that, like, I'm actually manufacturing it also. So I think dangerous things and other people, they, they buy it from other people and then resell it as opposed to like manufacturing it in-house. So lots of the stuff we sell is manufactured in-house. That's not to say that we can't get it made like medical grade. We can, you know, it's just, it's more of just something that I, I guess I deal with and I, I think about, um, I'm taking it slow. Like things are already moving fucking fast. And I'm sure you guys know that because you talk to all these people who are involved in all these things and you're just like, holy shit, like a year ago, I couldn't imagine half of these things happening. And now people are doing crazy ass shit every day. I think it's also maybe just a chance for me to sit back and think about it. And like, just, I don't want to do anything based on ever just I'm like wanting to make money, wanting to profit, or just like, I want to make sure that the reason is I want this to be accessible and safe and people to use it. And so uh, it's figuring that out for myself. And that's not to say it's wrong for other people to do it. Not at all. Uh, I don't think that's, that's the case. I think it's just more for myself to figure out right now. Would you tell us about the conference Biohack the Planet and a little bit about its origin and mission, if you would. The Biohack the Planet conference was kind of started because there, up until we started the conference, there was never a conference specifically for people who were focused on the genetic engineering side of biohacking. There were always like secondary conferences, like at DEF CON, there's a biohacking village, which people would give talks. And so I thought, you know, that's fucked up. There are a lot of people doing cool shit. We should have a conference for it. <laughs> and uh, decided to give it a go. Conferences, I guess, are a little bit harder than I thought. <laughs> but uh, we've had the conference for the past two years. It's usually in the August, September uh, time. And... You know, the first year it was about 100 people. This last year it was 150 people. We've had uh, people talk, professors, biohackers, grinders, people from Google, all different types of people. And it's it's been pretty amazing. We run it out of Oakland, California. And the venue is pretty badass. It's like this community space, this old like converted kind of like a church venue-ish space where we, we we sit on pews and uh, 
just drink all day and talk about science and genetic engineering and biohacking and grinding and uh i i think it's pretty awesome and badass uh it's it's very open and inclusive and we don't exclude any type of biohacking or any per person uh i think last year we had you know all different types of biohackers grinders give talks we had people who do chemicals and supplements give talks and genetic engineers give talks and yeah when i was doing the the research for this um one thing i came across which i was obviously quite interested in is the muscles experiment i was wondering if you can talk talk a bit about that yeah sure i've been getting a lot of publicity and media attention and i guess you know maybe even you'd say go going viral and lately because of this experiment i did on myself where i attempted to genetically modify my genome using crispr uh, I am, as far as anybody knows, as far as anybody's ever claimed or, or that we know in any sort of publication or literature, the first human being to attempt to modify their own genome. Specifically, uh, obviously when you smoke and all this other stuff, you're modifying your genome, which is funny because <laughs> genetic engineering is a everyday part of our lives. Uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to explore how feasible it was to make genome engineering technology super accessible and possible to do. You know, even a year ago, I couldn't even imagine that you can buy DNA online you know, for under $500 that will allow you to modify your genome. Now on our website, we sell it for $20 because we're trying to get it out to people, though the DNA can't directly be injected. I wanted to explore this idea of modifying my genome, and I thought the best way to do that would be to target something that has like a, a phenotypic measurement of what people in science call it, or which is like a visual, physical change in the human body. So the obvious thing to target would be something that... <laughs> modifies your muscle right like, these are well-studied genes they've been experimented on and modified in every animal you can imagine like every single one you can find so many scientific papers where they're like look we modified this gene in rabbits and one rabbit leg is like jacked and muscly and the other rabbit leg where it wasn't modified it just looks like you know a normal wimpy rabbit leg and they've done it in you know mice and macaques and non-human primates and all these organisms and so i thought well wow this seems like a really safe well-studied thing to attempt i did a lot of background research on the safety of crispr and its efficacy and how this technology could be used to modify my genome and i came to the conclusion that it's probably just as safe as anything else in your life uh, smoking a cigarette, having a beer, walking down the street in the sun. And I took it upon myself to test it. Now, I'm not making any claims that like this experiment is going to make me huge and muscly or even change my muscle at all, but it's, it's an experiment in, in an attempt to do that. So I took a syringe with the DNA 
that would modify this myostatin gene in my muscle. And I mixed it with this chemical that would encapsulate the DNA and help the DNA get inside my, my cells. I inject, did a localized injection in my forearm and uh, have been monitoring it ever since. So it's been about a month now and trying to understand how I can assay for this, how I can make this technology so it is, has, has a higher efficiency of getting into the cells. So it's just a constant process of advancing this technology, going one step further, being one step ahead. So far to date, I haven't seen any physical changes. I just started doing preliminary assays to actually look at my genome and see the changes that have been made. Um, they're inconclusive right now, but you know, as a scientist, I'm skeptical. And uh, I like to have hope and imagine that these things work, but I also want it to be real and truthful. So there's a chance that this will modify my genome and it will change my muscles. Um, if this first experiment doesn't work, I'm sure one in the future will. You know, this stuff is well studied. But did this first experiment work? Uh, it takes time to figure that out. In animals, it's usually, you know, 8, 12, 16 weeks. Like I said, I'm, I'm excited to find it out, but I'm also, I don't have unreasonable expectations. Right. I'm not I don't expect myself to become Captain America or superhuman or Red Skull. <laughs> you guys got to stop making these comments because, you know, I read them in the chat and sometimes <laughs> they make me like laugh in the middle of while I'm talking. <laughs> so if you're actually reading the comments, so, uh, when are you going to come out with the CRISPR edit for me so that I can you know, turn my fat into muscle and yeah, hey, maybe know, turn green? You're preaching to the crowd here, man. You know, I'm trying to do that for myself also. Uh, I'm ready to talk out. <laughs> hey, can I? Uh, I'll get a bit on that as well. Oh. For someone that is like a complete novice, um, I have two questions for you. One, sort of how difficult is this to do in terms of like, is it the same as finding a needle in a haystack? And the second thing is, will it edit the genome so you don't have to do an ex any exercise or will you when you do exercise, will it increase the productivity of that exercise? How easy is it? I mean, it's fucking easy, man. I mean, obviously I have a PhD and I've researched on this stuff for, for a long time. So it's more nuanced for me. But right now, if you wanted to go order a CRISPR system in DNA that targets a gene in your body, like you can go to companies and websites online that it's all automated now. They use, you know, machine learning and all this other bullshit to find the best targets for CRISPR. So, like, even if you had zero knowledge on how it actually worked, you could order this stuff. It's advancing that fast, which is crazy. It blows my mind. Will modifications like this actually change your muscles so that you, you, they grow even when you don't work out? In other animals, that is actually the case. So what myostatin does is myostatin is constantly inhibiting your muscle from growing. It inhibits your muscle to grow because if you were growing muscle all the time, you'd burn a ton of calories and it just, you know, you wouldn't be an efficient human being. You'd just be eating all the time or starving all the time. So myostatin is inhibiting that muscle from growing constantly. In the animals that they've done the experiments on, they haven't had to do any exercise at all to see the growth. They're are differing views of bodybuilders and other people who like to comment on this stuff. And they say that like, it's not possible without exercise because I think a lot of it 
they're relating it to is steroids and uh, HGH, which a lot of bodybuilders use. But I'm just basing this purely on the scientific literature. Also, I didn't want to exercise too much because I felt like that could give me false positive results. Exercise might help speed along the process, but it also, you know, if I'm sitting there, you know, weightlifting every day and my muscles grow, it's going to be hard to differentiate between whether that was caused by gene therapy alone or just by me lifting weights. Wouldn't you then just involve another individual that would be interested in this and have them either be the active one and you'd be the control then to apply a scientific method. You could have contrast and the results that way to be able to further look at it. Totally. I mean, that's the goal, right? The goal is to eventually get other people involved, have other people also try out this stuff. I think there's definitely a place for other people to do. I think it's too early to, uh, try a complex experiment like that where you're having some people work out, some people not. I don't know if I could necessarily recruit enough people that understand the technology, that understand its liabilities. Right now, there are a ton of people who want me to use them as gang pigs. I get, I get at least, you know, five messages a day, like experiment on me. And I'm just like, uh, you know, I don't <laughs> I don't know if I want that liability. I appreciate your trust, but uh, yeah, so that, that's the plan. The future is to not only be me because like, I want to make it more rigorous. I want to make it more accessible. I want to make it not just for me and, and not just work on me. So my goals are, here's the thing, like people view science as this one experiment, right? Like you do this one experiment and either succeeds or fails. To me, that's not science. Science is like, it's a developmental cycle, like programming, where you, you build something, you find bugs, you rebuild it, you try it again, and you keep going through this cycle of iterations of like testing, did it work? How can I make it better? Testing, did it work? How can I make it better? Until eventually you get with like a finalized product or you know, version 1.0. And uh, I don't think this technology is quite at version 1.0, but I think in the next few months, it will definitely get there. So like you'd mentioned, you get a, a lot of people contacting you asking to be your guinea pig, you know, the whole joke of, hello, Dr. Frankenstein, would you body hack me? Have you ever had the grinder like communication where somebody's reached out saying, guess what? You're a sign of the apocalypse. You're, you're creating hell on earth, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole, bullshit that uh we've seen over and over again about uh, anyone getting an implant or exploring new technology in the financial sect what have you because they've said this over and over again that you're you know you're you're a sign of the enemy whether it be checking accounts uh social security cards over and over again we see this in history and it's just it you open the door to the possibility of crazy contact. So it just makes me ask that much more. How crazy have the contacts you've had? Or are they just, hey, Dr. Frankenstein, please, please, you know, make me a superhero? No, I mean, you definitely get both, right? So I definitely get people who uh, think I'm definitely the Antichrist and going to end the world. And I definitely get people who think I'm the savior of the world. And 
sad truth is on neither. <laughs> um, I'm just some, just some normal guy who's doing some experiments. And uh, I think once this stuff becomes more accessible, people are going to start to see that, that it, it is just like, unfortunately, I am not going to cause the zombie apocalypse for all you people waiting out there. And also, unfortunately, I'm not going to save the world either. But the technology is awesome. And I think it definitely has a place in society. So that's why I, I really you know, am motivated to push it forward and get people using it. You talk um, a lot about um, putting in DNA or like um, extracting DNA from something and put it in. How about removing some recessive genes or um, uh, say like biological issues? Could you, could you edit them out the same? That stuff starts to get a little bit more complicated. I think one of the things people don't realize with uh, genetic engineering is there are a lot of easy targets. So there are a lot of genes that are related to uh, monogenic traits, what they call them, which are single genes that can define something about a human, like myostat with muscle, right? They've shown this over and over again in animals that like this single gene can help define like muscular traits in organisms things are also really complex, right? So like if somebody has some disease and trying to get, get rid of that gene, like how many cells do I need to get rid of that gene in? Do I need to get rid of it in their whole body? Do I need to get rid of it in their brain? It starts to get really complex and the delivery of the DNA to the area starts to get really complex. Now in some cases, like the article that came out recently about the guy in the hospital who was the first human to have genetic genome engineering tested on him the first patient have genome engineering tested on him the scientists said that like they probably only need like one percent of the cells to be changed according to like animal models right so sometimes traits that's all it takes is like very small number of cells to be changed sometimes it takes a lot more sometimes it's more genes than one so the possibilities are endless the probabilities right now are a lot smaller so i try to tend to work in the area of like reasonable probability as opposed to possibility but each day these things are changing so tomorrow who knows it could be so much easier when you're looking for your active study group i'll definitely join that i just need to become a bit more active than sitting on my ass all day <laughs> <laughs> um, in your own experience, what does it take to get started in biohacking or where you split them into three groups earlier? I'd like you to pick a group and then one that you're most familiar with and tell us how you would get started if you were thinking about doing that from here. Um, and kind of how you've gone from the guy hacking in his garage or the local hacker spaces and turning it into a growing company. Unfortunately, how you become a biohacker, it's really boring and lame and there's no secret. There's no like secret code or handshake or secret document that biohackers pass between themselves to learn how to do genetic engineering or these other things. Unfortunately, like everything in life, it just takes, you know, knowledge and practice. I think it's possible for almost anyone. There's this guy I've been working with now for about a year and a half, two years, David Ishii. He works in uh, the oil fields in Mississippi, rural Mississippi. Didn't even graduate high school, got his GED, 
never went to college, never took a college class. He's been studying his ass off and working on this stuff for two years now. And like, he can do experiments that I know graduate students couldn't even do. So like he's progressing at a level that's very high and very reasonable. I would say that anybody can get started, right? Buying kits from the Odin or other places, it's really easy to get started. To get to the level where you're like proficient in doing experiments on your own, you know, maybe three to six months of studying and practicing. And then within a year's time, I imagine you can be doing some pretty advanced experiments. Um, obviously, like, I'm not saying that you're going to be the biggest genius ever in six months or a year, but, you know, it takes time. Everything. Be patient, though, you know. That's one of my models in life is, you know, be patient. Like, this technology is not going everywhere. Learn. Use it way better than all the scientists and kick ass. How did I go from my garage to becoming a biohacking sensation? <laughs> that should be the title of my, you know, uh, lifetime biopic. I think part of it is just being in the correct place at the correct time. And I think the, the other thing, the one thing that I can probably attribute to myself is just when everybody tells you that something's not possible or that this is the way something's done. I always try to think about why isn't it possible and why are things done this way? I, I, I try to play argue for the opposite in my head and see if it makes sense. And if it does make sense, then I try to see if I can actually make it possible. And that's worked out successfully more times than should probably have happened. You have to understand that like science and medicine is an institution that's there so that massive audiences can have access to this information, right? Medicine, the job of medicine is to make sure that the most people have the best access to the least harmful treatments. And that's it. Does it mean that there are treatments out there that people could be doing that could help people? No. Does it mean that medical doctors know everything and do everything perfect? No. So like figure out something that you're interested in and explore the opposite of what people do. And you'll probably find something really interesting and exciting. I've been having a look at uh, the products that you guys sell at the Odin, um, the bioluminescence E. coli kit. Now that looks like a really cool little project for a starter. And I mean, you don't have it in stock at the moment, but if you were to ship that to say, say myself, if I've paid for it and everything, I reckon it'd get holed up in customs. Have you had problems with that before? Have you not had many people internationally? No, I mean, the laws and regulations differ from country to country, and I don't know the exact regulations for every country. I know in the U.S. all this stuff is, I think the U.S. and Canada and Mexico generally have pretty similar guidelines and regulations, and they're basically like, these organisms are perfectly safe. You can ship them anywhere. Overseas, I've shipped stuff. I generally try not to say which countries and, and where because I, I like to keep you know my customers' information safe and private. But I would say that we ship to a number of countries all over the world, and we've never had anything held up in customs. Uh, we never had anything returned because customs deemed it 
hazardous. So I think it's up to the individual to understand the laws and regulations of their country. Um, we've definitely refunded and canceled people's orders when they later found out that they weren't allowed to maybe have the bacteria or something sent to them. But I think in a lot of countries in the world, generally owning, this is the funny part, it's probably the same thing with like dangerous things stuff. You can own the bacteria and own the DNA. That's totally like in most all countries that's legal. But when you mix the bacteria and the DNA, right? That's when, or you mix the organism and the DNA, that's when it gets like illegal. So usually you can possess the components of our kit. You just can't actually use them. Almost sounds like a licensing of a firearm. You can own it, the gun and the bullets, but you can't put the bullets in the gun and fire it. Yeah. Basically, it's really strange. It's like, oh my gosh. With all these projects that you've been mentioning and we've been going into, what is the biggest impact that you would like to make? And Really, in essence, what do you want to be remembered for and possibly lead others to accomplish through uh, the fruits of your work uh, creating these kits and inspiring others to to seek out their own knowledge? You know, basically, what would, what would you hope uh, you might find when you Google yourself instead of the next Captain America, mad scientist? You know, what, what do you hope to, to leave behind as your legacy? I guess I'm, you know, more like a nihilist and like I'm not seeking out to like really change the world or even myself necessarily be famous. Obviously, it's really good for my company. Obviously, it's really good for like personal branding point point of view and things like that. But I like to think about how, how that in, you know, I don't know. 20, 50 billion years, probably all humans will be dead and the earth will be a ball of ice just flying through space, not orbiting anything. Then maybe we'll eventually like get sucked into a black hole and nothing we do really matters. So I basically like to do things because I think they're cool. I think they're beautiful. And I think that other people might think they're cool and think they're beautiful. And I think that's kind of really all you got in this life is, you know, cool and beautiful things and, you know, good company and a nice glass of scotch. Um, so I, I think one of the fickle things nowadays is uh, the media. And as much as I try to tell them who I am and what my goals are and everything like that, they're going to spin it their own way. They're going to make me be who the media wants me to be, who the public wants me to be. And so it's, it's really hard to control that. So I try not to focus on how people will see me, how, how I'll be remembered or what you'll find when you'll Google me. Because I mean, it's surprising that I'm just not known as the guy who ate shit, right? <laughs> so the fact that I've, I've uh, overcome that, I think my life is pretty good. <laughs> Well, I've got to say, it's better to have been the guy that ate shit than talked a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Following that, um, in your own path of experimentation, 
which you've just stated. What is the single best moment of achievement? Ah, man. In my experiments, I think the coolest thing I've done, and this was probably before I really started doing biohacking, and I think this is just kind of like, it's, it's, it's more personal for me. Well, there, there are two kind of that really stand out. The first scientific publication I had, the amino terminal helix modulates light activation in the Vena Sativa Love 2 domain. And that probably doesn't make any sense to anybody. Barely makes sense to me. Um, that paper, if you want to understand who I am as a person, you read that paper. And it's, it's, most people probably won't be able to because it's like the intricacies, the subtleties are hidden just in, in the scientific paper. It's like reading between the lines. But uh, to me, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever created. Uh, I made all the figures, I wrote the paper, I just did all hard ass work that went into it. And to me, it's beautiful as shit. And despite the paper's not famous, Nobody will probably ever read it. Uh, it's been cited by other papers, but probably not a lot. But it was just the process of doing that and the process of creating something. I think that's, to me, that's what science is all about. That's what biohacking is all about. It's, it's about creating something that's beautiful to you, that's cool to you. I know with all this publicity and shit that I get, it, it becomes this like dramatization of like, what other people think is cool. But in the end, uh, like I'm doing these experiments because I think they're cool and beautiful. I, I wish sometimes I could go back to where nobody gave a shit what I did, where I could post something on Facebook and nobody gave a shit. But I don't think that's possible right now. And, but like, that's, that's just what I want. I just, and I, I, I think everybody else out there, everybody who's listening to this and everybody who's into biohacking, if you do want to make an impact, if you want people to be excited about what you do, then just do something that you think is cool. And chances are that there's somebody else out there who also thinks it's really cool. And that's like the best advice I could give. Was that paper for your doctorate or was it the last paper before you sort of hit the, the world of going around every news article in every city kind of thing? Yeah, it was the first paper, paper I published for my PhD. So it was my first ever, my first ever paper. And can you go again with the title for those who missed it the first time and want to go and dig it out? It's a long <laughs> title. <laughs> oh, geez. I, now I don't know for sure. I'm sure if you, uh, you know, go to Google Scholar or something and look up, I don't think there's many Zaners that exist. So I'm sure if you go to Google Scholar and look up my name, Josiah Zaner, you'll be able to find my published papers. But this was the first one, I think it was in 2012 or 2013. And uh, it was titled something like the amino terminal helix modulates light activation in the Avena sativa love two domain. Avena sativa is the oat plant. So I was looking at how certain proteins cause plants to respond to light um, on like the molecular level. So like engineering and how we can engineer these proteins to like do cool things because they're basically like little light sensors. Oh man, there it is. The amino terminal here is modulates light activated conformational change in AS love too. 
That's the one that is available, as you say. <laughs> if you search Google Scholar, you get to sciencedirect.com, and uh, it, it's up there. So, yeah, you, you, the, the paper is probably not freely available, um, but if you use, like, like sci, sci-hub.hub.cc, you should be able to pirate it and get it for free. Do you have, say, your own repository of where your papers are? Sort of your own blog where people can keep up to date with projects that you're doing now or maybe previous work that's going to relate to a project they've got in mind? Yeah, so, like, if people want to follow me, follow this this stuff I do, I usually uh, post semi-regularly to my blog about the projects I'm working on or give, like, detailed descriptions of the experiments I've done because, you know, don't trust the media. Uh, <laughs> it is my name, so josiahzaner.com. You can just go to J-O-S-I-A-H-Z-A-Y-N-E-R.com and it should give you a whole slew of information that you didn't want to know on eating poop, genetically modifying yourself, and... Uh, <laughs> doing genetic engineering with CRISPR. Just wanted to put it out there. Josiah just said, don't trust the media, but I think that Dangerous Minds technically comes under media because we do give the news, but we will always be honest with telling you our opinions as opposed to the facts. You guys are the system. Get out of here. <laughs> then why did you choose to be on here? <laughs> because he loves because, us. Because of you, man. You're the one <laughs> If you're not with us, you're against us. <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> One of us. All right. Speaking of, uh, do you have any final comments or questions uh, for any of us? Uh, this also includes you, Mr. Anarchy, uh, tinfoil hat, that happens to still have enough gumption to come on and face your fears. If I could say anything to people... I guess it would just be like, there are a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of people telling you what, what you can, what you can't do, what medications you can and can't take, what you should and shouldn't do to your body, you know, whether you should pay taxes or not. <laughs> that, that, that answer is up to you. I'll let you decide that one. But I think in the end, the amazing thing that the internet has brought us is it's brought us access to knowledge. And through that knowledge, you can find out the answers to these questions yourself. You can find out answers to how to help yourself if you're suffering from disease or, you know, even not disease. If, if you're just interested in cosmetic changes or exploring new technologies, I think that the coolest thing about biohackers and biohacking is it's people who they are their own hope, right? They don't need to look to God or scientists to have the answers because they know that they can seek out those answers themselves. They can seek out that knowledge themselves and help themselves in the process. And for all the people who want to be biohackers or are biohackers, the number one thing I can say is, you know, explore, share, make your knowledge accessible, make it available, make yourself available, either for people, help people. Like that's all the great things that biohacking brings. I think 
biohackers. We are, I, you know, I, I, I almost want to stop myself from saying this, but I think biohackers are one of the ways that humanity can be saved from itself. <laughs> like biohackers are our saviors. And I respect and am so honored to be associated with the people who push these boundaries. Right, I think we have a t-shirt quote there. Josiah's t-shirt is biohackers are their own hope. I, I quite like that one. Um, <laughs> Much better than the guy that ate poop and talked about shit. We've come a long way since then. <laughs> We've moved on since then. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> much much better i think we all know the internet is people posting their own opinions and what they they think is correct so where would you say is a safe place for people to learn what they're looking for in the field of say genome modification or anything we've spoken about today have you got reputable sources that people know they can trust instead of um, a random blog <laughs> <laughs> I mean, scientific papers, right? Just go to the scientific literature, see what's been done. I, the, the cool thing is, is about a lot of genetic engineering and a lot of diseases is a lot of this stuff has been tested in animals or other organisms. So you can actually see literally what's worked, what hasn't worked, what's gone wrong. Like, what are the chances that it will work in a human? And I think that's the real cool thing. Like, don't fucking trust me. Don't trust you guys. I don't think people should trust anybody. Well, I mean, that might be taken a little too far, but you don't have to trust anybody. You can go to like peer reviewed scientific publications, look and see what data is out there. You don't even have to trust the papers, right? You can look at multiple papers, but the information's out there and uh, use that, right? Trust that. Don't trust some random guy on the internet like me or, you know, some other psycho who's trying to modify themselves. I wouldn't trust that person. <laughs> trust the data. I'm, get, I'm getting a buzz in my ear from the government saying, shut down this conversation. He's not going for the trust the media. Trust the media. <laughs> if we don't trust you, we're not buying your product. You're not making money. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> I know. It sucks, right? <laughs> uh, kind of self-defeating there. So uh, when can we expect the Captain America serum to come on the on your workshop market? I don't know. You, you can definitely expect some experimental results to be coming out in the next few months, uh, you know, pushing this stuff forward to make it just more accessible, more available, and work even better than the experiments I've tried before. Well, look forward to more from that, uh, as well as uh, more taunting in the future, I'm sure. But definitely special thanks to you for showing up today, Josiah from the Odin, for taking the time to talk to us today. If you want to learn oh. more about this journey we take weekly, check out DangerousMinds.com. And all of us want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us as we further explore the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and implantable technology today. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions or comments. You're welcome to find us at DangerousMinds.io, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Dangerous Minds Podcast. And perhaps one day we'll talk to you about the work and our projects you're doing and exploring and developing. Until next week, seek the spark. We're gonna stick it in your face, till it in your brain and interlace. Since an arms war on, and we're gonna win the race. Leave everything in the race.
Alright, this is a note to our audio engineer. Don't use that quote. <laughs>